0: You are very welcome along to the RTE Rugby World Cup podcast in association with Bank of Ireland. That's right, we have a new name for the next couple of months. We're going to be cranking the podcast out over the next few weeks. On Tuesday, we spoke to Darren Cave and James Downey looking ahead to the Rugby World Cup this morning. I also had an interview with Devin Toner, rte.ie forward slash sport or... On the RT Sport YouTube channel, if you want to catch that as well. And now another Rugby World Cup podcast, Johnny Holland, is with me to pour over at the Ireland lineup to play Romania. And we'll look ahead to some of the bigger games coming up this weekend. Um, we'll we'll go around the grounds, the various games in a couple of minutes. First, though, we'll go through the Ireland team that was actually named this afternoon for Saturday's game against Romania in Bordeaux, uh, live on RT Radio One. So at fullback, Hugo Keenan, as expected. Keith Earls and James Lowe are on the wings. Gary Ringrose and Bundiaki in the centre. Johnny Sexton returns from suspension to play his first game in six months. He's captaining the side from out half alongside Jameson Gibson-Park in the halfbacks. Up front, Andrew Porter, Rob Herring and Tyg Furlong in the front row. Joe McCarthy comes in for his, uh, just his second start in an Irish shirt and his fourth cap. He's in the second row alongside James Ryan. And as a result, Tyg Byrne, goes to the back row, blindside flanker for him. Peter O'Mahony swaps across to open side and Caelan Doris at number 8 on the bench then Ronan Kelleher back from injury Jeremy Lockman and Tom O'Toole and then you've got plenty of experience Ian Henderson Josh van der Vleer Conor Murray Robbie Henshaw and Jack Crowley is the other one of the replacements before I chat to Johnny about this team let's hear what Andy Farrell and Johnny Sexton had to say about Joe McCarthy's inclusion and a few more things besides these questions from Ortiz Sports Justin Tracy
1: Andy obviously a hey. A selection that sees lots of experience obviously, and some new faces, Joe McCarthy uh, starting in the second row. Could you just give us your thoughts on why you have done
0: with Joe? Well, cause he, he deserves it um, with a um, form that is shown not just in the games that he's played, but also in his preparation over the
1: last 10-11 weeks. He's, um, he's really progressed his game, he gets an opportunity to, to start in, a, in the first game of the World Cup. We've gone with Rob Herring uh, starting as Hooker and, and Keith Earls. lots and lots of experience there. Well we've got
0: lots of experience and uh, a nice blend of uh, youth within with, within our squad so when we get down to this stage now we've got a, gr- a group of 33, we've got a, a, a pretty good squad so therefore it's always going to be a strong team. The
1: obvious question, Great to be back and uh, starting and, and leading the team out in the opening game of the World Cup? Yeah, delighted uh, drives me back. Um, Yeah, playing for Ireland is always special. I think extra special when it comes to World Cup. So, uh, very, very happy to to be back in the team and uh, really looking forward to it now.
0: So, we just heard from Andy Farland, Johnny Sexton, that clip Johnny, and I suppose before we get into the weeds of the actual selections themselves and the individual selections, you're talking realistically 12 of what we would consider to be a fully fit Ireland's strongest 15 in there. Maybe take, maybe put in the likes of Mac Hansen, a fit Dan Sheehan and arguably Josh Vander Fleer coming in and Tygburn moving back into the second row ahead of, ahead of Joe McCarthy against a team like Romania. That's a hell of a statement of intent.
1: It is. Yeah. And I think like we were kind of um, predicting that it would be strong, but I don't think we predicted this, this strength that they put out, uh, you know, I think yeah, you put th- maybe three changes and you're at full strength, and one or two of those aren't actually possible this weekend. So like, um, it's it's very very strong. I I expected like you know I expected there to be probably two or three of the pack not not selected. I thought Andrew Porter type Furlong. I'm not, I wasn't sure if they were going to be put out. I, I expected probably two out of the the kind of um the the other the other five in the pack. I expected two changes there. I suppose we saw Joe McCarthy coming in and we see Josh Fender Fleer being left out, but like the other four are starters anyway, aren't they? So, like, maybe not as many changes as what I thought I'd see. And actually, I didn't see, I didn't think um, Jameson Gibson Park would play. I thought um, you would get a combination of the other two. I thought Murray would start with Sexton and leave Jameson Gibson Park, start with Sexton against Tonga. Um, So I am surprised it makes me think about what he's actually going to do against Tonga, but that's uh that's for after Saturday. Well, like, without being complacent, looking ahead to that game
0: against Tonga and South Africa then as well, like, i would imagine a lot of the the head coaches of the contending nations are they're kind of road mapping a lot of their selections out and i think the, from andy farrell's point of view possibly you've got the easiest game of the lot first up against romania obviously no disrespect to them but they are way back in the world rankings they've had a a disaster of a warm up campaign coming in losing to teams that haven't even qualified for the tournament and had it not been for for spain playing a banger in the, the qualification process, Romania would have had to go through the playoffs themselves. So we're not talking out of school here disrespecting them, but, you know, you can play a first team in this, put up a good score, potentially then mix and match things a little bit, rest up a couple of more important players against Tonga to give them a bit of a weekend off heading into South Africa. Like, is, are we, are we kind of playing 4D chess, looking ahead at all these things, or is it... Can, yeah, can, head, can, like, can head coach do that and not be called complacent ultimately?
1: No, it's very hard but I think with the squad that he's got, he's not going to be complacent because you put Josh Van der Fleer, Ian Henderson back in, Ronan Keller has to get a start to some stage, Dan Sheehan has to get a start to some stage and you're talking about before South Africa in two games time, so like they can't all get a start from now. Um and then you're looking at Robbie Henshaw. If you pick Robbie Henshaw and put the on the bench, no one would say it's a weakened selection. So you've actually a couple of positions where you can actually change them, and no one in their right mind would say you're weaker. You know, so I actually I thought this was the one that there might be one or two. I thought he would have halved it, not really have it, but I thought he would have gotten stronger as we went. But he's gone so strong now that I think he's going to stay as strong for Tonga because they're a real threat. Like you know, they're the strongest Tonga side we've probably seen with a couple of fellas um, kind of changing their their allegiances according to the laws, but. Um, so I, I think the way he's going now is going to be, you know, I think from my perspective anyway, uh, they're trying to get cohesion and they're going to get it this week and they're going to get it next week. But I think like the big thing here is you can see, you know, the selections and think fellas need certain amount of minutes. Just because they target out doesn't mean they're going to play 60 and be wrecked. Like, you know, so you're going to see a lot of changes probably by halftime if things go to plan and you get enough. If they see enough and they see enough connections and cohesion, like we always say those buzzwords, then I think you can make the changes quite early. I don't think they're going to be thinking about racking up a score because I think if, the Irish backroom team management are talking about racking up scores is because they expect to lose somewhere else, and I don't think they'll be planning for that. You know, we might be thinking of it and 60 point spread and all the rest of it, but I don't think they're going to be thinking that way. They back themselves 100% to beat Scotland, but you can see now it's kind of a, for me, it's a kind of a split pool, or split kind of, you know, you're probably, I wouldn't say you're guaranteed it, but like you'll have three games, then you will have Scotland, and more than likely, which is a massive assumption, you're hoping you'll have a quarter final. So I'm nearly thinking of it now as a bit of a split you know, ramp up, do your thing against Romania, get lads off the pitch like Johnny Sexton, Jameson Gibson Park, whoever else, Ty Furlong maybe, um, go at it again, give them 40, 50 minutes again against Tonga, try and do the work early and get them off early. I suppose the, the risk there is that you don't do the work early against Tonga and all of a sudden you're taking some hits that you don't want to be taking a week out from South Africa, you know. So I think it's it's hilarious trying to call all these things because we can have our assumptions. We're not down on the ground, we're not Andy Farrell, we're not his group, you know, they have their own ways of thinking about it. You have to call it some way, but it's very hard to get inside his head. Like, you know, clearly he's kind of keeping us on our, our toes since the Mack Hansen selection in the six nations. No one can guess what he's going to actually do. And he's done it again this time.
0: Yeah. And one of those Joe McCarthy, like it ultimately came from the blue. I was speaking to Devin Toner earlier in the week, and I was asking him about when Joe McCarthy made his debut for Leinster just back in January of, of 2022. And here he is just 18 months down the line, still 22 years old. But OK, it's against Romania, but he's starting a game at the Rugby World Cup. And even a few months ago, I think while most of us were pretty impressed with the the level of his progression over the previous 12 months, I think the fact that maybe he had missed out the Six Nations through injury, some of us probably thought that his his chance at the World Cup had gone. But you look at the performances he put in during the summer, First of all, against Italy when he got his start. And I think secondly, which is just as important, uh, whatever, 25 minutes against England in the second of those warm-up games and made a savage impact in those 25 minutes. Hit everything that moved, was a constant threat, brought incredible physicality and is the type of naturally physical player that we've probably struggled to produce over the last few years. And as Andy Farrell has said, it's not even just over the matches he's played, but the level of professionalism he's brought during the, the campaign the last 10, 11 weeks in camp as well. It's it's a thoroughly deserved start for him, and it's going to be
1: really interesting to see how it goes. I think it's um you can see his form changing completely. I know he's been playing a good bit of rugby and everything else, but he's young, like you said, and you know he's the closest thing to an Andy Farrell bolt or to a World Cup because it's been fairly mapped out for, for the last while. But like you're saying there, he made his debut in January 22. It'll kind of put it into perspective that that's probably what a bowler is these days but um, I thought he was kind of immature in his play which isn't that surprising when he is young but I thought he was a bit immature in his play around the rock and stuff uh, maybe defensively as well uh, I thought he got caught would
0: he, in yeah, would have been, been prone to conceding a lot of penalties
1: yeah I thought so and I thought defensively prone to maybe making assumptions and getting caught out a small bit around the ruck. Uh unlike James Ryan when he came on the scene and he battered everything that went back inside there so I thought he was kind of um had his frailties like that but it was like you you saw the turnaround it was, you could see it fairly fairly clearly this summer the way he's turned up it's like the the person we were expecting to turn up for no reason we just expected it out of him all to talk about him but he um he came good at the right time and i think his trajectory now makes him a a serious option for for Ireland obviously they're seeing him training for a a world cup camp like they see him all all day long you know most days and i think andy farrell does well that way he, he, kind of, he does put a lot of emphasis on how they train and how they turn up. And obviously, like you said, the professionalism. But I think his uh his output in the games has been seriously impressive. Um, obviously, we knew he was going to be the wrecking ball physical guy. He's big lad. Um, but bringing the discipline to his game and a bit of, as well as the structured parts uh, where you don't let the system down, I think that's what has really gotten him over the line. And it's going to be exciting to see what he does. I know it's Romania. And I know we're trying not to disrespect him. It's one of those games where if he doesn't play really well, he probably won't get selected in the Tonga game unless there's a bigger plan. But like, and then if he plays very well, it's only Romania, you know what I mean? But he's still within like a very strong size. So if he stands out within that pack, then you know he's got, he's up to something and maybe there's a, a change on the cards going forward, you know?
0: Yeah. And speaking, change on the cards going forward leads nicely to the the idea of Tig Byrne moving from the second row into the back row, which is what Joe McCarthy starting has facilitated. Now, it's something that's been spoken of a lot in the last couple of years about uh, that it's an option for, for Farrell to have where he had Ian Henderson and Tig Byrne who had that versatility of of second and back row. Um do you think granted they're two different teams, but playing Byrne in the back row is potentially a little bit of a trial run
1: for the option of potentially doing that against South Africa later on in the pool? I do think it's a trial run for a kind of a set-piece strength. You know, if you put Tyburn in there with keeping Pete, uh Doris, like all these lads are there. And then you've got two two second rows in there as well. I think Ian, Ian Henderson can do that role as well. But, you know, Tyburn is probably a more out-and-out out six when you put it that way, when they're talking about hybrids. Um, and you're nearly doing to South Africa what they've done to the rest of the world by picking a second row at six. But Tyburn Ty has never been... And out, and out second row anyway, like is he? I mean, played number eight for Scarlets, uh, if I remember correctly. So like he naturally does that role uh, best, I suppose, or the most uh, natural person to put into that role. And maybe it is just to see how the how the set piece goes because you think about it, he's another <laughs> second row, but we're calling him a six now in the lineout, um, defensively as much as anything. But then you still have the wrecking ball Joe McCarthy in the middle tearing apart someone's mall. So like you get a lot out of that, and maybe it is a bit of a trial run. But it'll be interesting to see where they go from that they'd love him if he was South African, Ty Byrne. <laughs> yeah, yeah. just, just, just thinking
0: about it when you were talking there. I'm sure like Razzie Erasmus, I would imagine would just absolutely love to find a, a South African grandparent out of the line in, in Ty Byrne's lineage. Um, one last bit on, on Joe McCarthy and the got us thinking of the, the emerging Ireland tour from, from South Africa last, uh, last September said, se- yeah, September into early October. And obviously it was fairly much maligned at the time. People were critical of, was it a pointless venture? Were people on this tour going to be going to the World Cup? You look at Joe McCarthy, who's involved there, uh, Jack Crowley, who's obviously on the bench this weekend as well, and then guys who, okay, missed out on the Ireland squad itself. But the likes of Tom Stewart, um, uh, Keean Prendergast, uh, Nash, Osborne, who were in there. Is is that emerging Ireland tour something that has says that has aged
1: quite well over the last twelve months. Absolutely, it aged very well. I think like the Irish management to look back on that, everyone involved in organising the tour, and will think, you know, they had the foresight to see how it was going to work. And I think like at the time we probably understood the idea of it, back to the idea of it. But the the games probably didn't play out to be as competitive as you'd like. But like even getting Joe McCarthy, some I know he was probably going to get there anyway. But I think Jack Crowley was the real one that came out of it because from there he took the that into his club form changed things around in his club it really was from that tour having that all that time with the coaches i know they they've backed him and they've liked him i think my my cat's a fan of him as well so it was just that time around the environment that got him through his club which in a sense got him back into into ireland like in time with them so like um it's been mad and when you you spoke with the people that got, got left out there they were all I wouldn't say they were huge shocks, but people were frustrated that there was no space for them. So they were all knocking on the door. And that's the kind of squad that Andy Farrell wanted to, to build because he said in the past that it's going to take 40 players. Now, whether that's in the warm-up through to the, the end of the World Cup or not, and people flying over and back, I'm not so sure where where the understanding is there, but like he, he's mentioned that it's going to take that many players, and he's already used that many that are viable options, you know.
0: Um earlier in the week, as I said, we'd James Downey and Darren Cave on uh, on Tuesday's podcast still up there on wherever you get your podcast on YouTube as well for those that missed it but we were talking obviously about centres and who would be Ireland's first choice for the South Africa game or any one of those those really big games they thought it was well for a start it was Gary Ringrose plus one other and the one other that they landed on was Robbie Henshaw now for this week Bondiaki is in with with uh, Ringrose you have Henshaw on the bench uh, a comment from the YouTube and on the podcast from a couple of days ago as well. And we, we want to hear from as many people as possible on these things. So get your comments into us. Leave it on the YouTube. Tweet us. Tweet me at Neil underscore Tracy or hashtag at, uh, or hashtag RT Rugby to get your, your comments into us. But someone, uh, who is it here? Kiron 3773. Henshaw is probably the more all-round talent. But in my opinion, Aki has been our most effective player at 12 during the Schmidt and Farrell eras. Where would you where
1: would you sit in terms of in terms of center uh traditionally i would have thought henshaw and ringrose but um i just I, like whether it's me not watching enough games or what Robbie henshaw's availability has been low as well i i just don't think he's played enough rugby for you to uh have an evidence base on that i think bundiaki like you know is definitely one of these players as well and when you get on the pitch with him or i faced him i know how much he hurts like you know and that that counts for a lot you know it's it's the intangibles from us watching on the tv um but he's a He's a physical man. He's a beast. Like, you know, so that comes for a lot. No, it doesn't mean that Robbie Henshaw is not. And he's a very intelligent player. And he get his, they both have a lot of uh, strings to their bow and attack. I think Robbie Henshaw possibly is a better defensive center. Um, I was uh, criticized for being critical of Bondiaki when it was at the Italy game he came back in for. And he made a couple of uh, defensive errors. It was. He had, he, had a, he had a wild game against Italy in the Six Nations. Yeah. On the ball, it was probably as good as he has looked in eighteen months. But he yeah. had some defensive slips. Yeah, he did. And like I suppose I don't want to make an assumption based on this one game that's standing out to me. But there's a, there was a couple of uh, defensive errors in there that you wouldn't have put him down for. Like you know, but in attack he was he was so good. And he had to try there recently where he's on the uh, inside support line as well from Pete, wasn't it? When he went through or the the the, the kind of tip pass went through the line and and Bondiaki was on the end of it. So he, he's he's a very good player. And I think when you get that kind of. Uh, that physicality inside, a bit of go forward, and he's um, physically confrontational. I don't think he likes any of, any center to go through. And if you look at the two centers that South Africa might play, and I know we're jumping ahead here talking about South Africa, but that's basically what it's going all to re- like. It's all, it's all relevant, you know? That's where we're going, like, you know, and uh, trying to find a game that's going to stop them. They, like, Robbie Henshaw is so physical as well and has all those strings to his bow. So it's going to be a very tight one. Um, I was only chatting to my home friends today, and they're talking about, like, you know, Robbie Henshaw can. Just he's like Johnny Sexton for some reason they cannot play rugby and come back and just give you a nine out of ten and uh, I'd fully back him to do that in any game, um, but it, it is harder when Bundyaki has has a lot under his belt and uh, you know you can back him to do the job as well. But um, it's it's a lovely position to be in because like I said to you know you could pick any three of those centers and and no one thinks everyone thinks it's just a selection that it's not going to take him right off the ball. Um, but yeah, you, you kind of. You have the option, I suppose, of going very physical if you want to go with Robbie Henshaw and Bundy Aki, but I think Gary Ringrose is just so good. If you look at sometimes you might catch like the the camera when it goes behind and you get some replays and you see some of the positions that Gary Ringrose takes up and he gets to the other side of the pitch, you wouldn't think there's that much time to kind of swing and attack or um, the reads that he makes in the fence. People will talk about his, his missed tackles and then you'll have other people talking about, oh yeah, but they, we want him to hunt them in, still a still miss missed tackle and all this kind of. Uh, discussion, but like I just think he's, you know, he's talk of players to watch in the tournament. He's just someone I love watching, you know. So I I do think he's a bit of a he has to be in Ireland, um, unless you go with a different game plan against South Africa and you need to be a right bully, like. But I don't think that's the way Ireland play, and I don't think it's the way they're going to go against South Africa because that's playing the wrong game in a sense.
0: Yeah, Ringrose, I I hate you, I hate the the cliche X factor, but like if you were to to line up the four Irish centres together and you know play top trumps with what they have, like he he is the one that just has that little bit something. Something special that that's something extra on top, um, on Aki. When you said you played against him, curious actually just know, um, was what position was he playing when you played against him? Because I do remember he was he was a wing. He played on the wing when he first came to Connacht, and I'm just wondering were were you the out half with him standing opposite you at twelve crashing down your throats, or did you have a little bit of a little
1: bit of protection and distance between you and the pitch oh I didn't have any protection or dis. well I had a bit of protection in Rory Scannell stepping <laughs> across my channel but he was at 12 and uh, I remember he he carried the ball at one stage and I tackled him and I still got a knock in the back of my head and it was front on tackle like I didn't know how it happened I actually went off for a HIA check that day but I didn't have a concussion like I came back on or I came back out anyway Um, but it was from Bundyaki like having a bit of a rampaging run ducking his head and moving here and there he can move like you know and he still you know, I don't know what what weight he, is he. One hundred five kilos. He's definitely up there. So, uh, it's not a it's not a great um size of a man to be running at you when he can actually change direction quite late as well. Like you know, uh, so I, I don't um I don't miss any days in the sports ground trying to tackle that thing moving. So uh,
0: yeah,
1: that's the thing though. Like you don't. There's there's people would say I didn't like playing against him or, you know, when when you're facing someone down on the ground, you don't realize how big international centers are. Like I remember looking up. John and Davies stats, and you think, oh, he can move and he plays a small with of ball anyway. And he's 110 kilos. Like, couldn't understand it in the slightest. Francis Ailey signed with us, and I remember standing on the scales with him, and he was 102 kilos. He was five foot 10. And like, he's shredded as well. So I was like, yeah, he's probably 90, 95, 98 or something. And he's up over 100. And you you understand then why they get game line. And you know, the, the day when they landed of the world, uh, when they're doing all that wreck in the in the breakdown. You start to understand a bit more when you're watching on tv when you remember the size of them you know we trained against munster a couple of weeks back without their world cup players over in carcon and we, we spoke with that i think but like I, i've been in that environment and it's probably been a couple of years obviously but like even people around me that have been around that environment we were looking at the size of them like and these are club players when you look at the international players they're they're big big men and it's uh it's massively understated but that center battle um Going into Tonga and then further into South Africa, like you're t- you're talking about big physical players. Gary Ringrose, a trend there is small, but he's just so good at what he does. Um, he reads the game really well. He's uh, I think he has to be now.
0: Yeah, I did kind of a rude awakening when we first started going back to like in person press events and press conferences yeah. after COVID, and they're just. I think we'd we'd all kind of forgotten a lot of us journalists, how big some of these players uh, had been over the, the couple of years. We were doing everything over over Zoom and Teams. Um, we'll move away from Ireland and onto some of the other games. First, though, um, I do want to let you know uh, some news for any of our listeners who have young kids interested in rugby. Uh, I want to tell you about a new series from RTE Kids called Rock and Roll, which is going to accompany the Rugby World Cup on RT's platforms. It'll be published on the RTE Player and the RT Kids YouTube channel that's going to be weekly from this Saturday, the 9th of September. And it's hoping to bring the excitement of the Rugby World Cup to young audiences across the country. Presenters Sean Tracy and Mary Claire Fitzpatrick are going to be visiting a new rugby club every week. Um, they will be talking to some of the biggest fans in the country and putting them to the test with some, some quizzes and challenges. And we'll be chatting to some of the women's 15s rugby team as well and the men's 7s players. So that is rock and roll. It starts this Saturday. Weekly episodes on the RT player and the RT Kids YouTube YouTube channel if you want to find out a bit more about it. Um the fun obviously of the tournament starts this this Friday, Johnny, and talk about a game to to get us underway with France against New Zealand, 8.15 p.m. kickoff Irish time, live on RT2 and RT player. Coverage on very early from 6.45 as well, I believe. So loads and loads to get through on the night there on RT2. On France for for months i've had them down as as my winners that's like i've been fairly even after ireland beat them in the six nations i just thought france were going to get better they were missing a couple of players at the time as well but i don't know i don't know is it just the fact that the world cup is upon us now but it's got to this week and when the team came in yesterday that they had to to play against new zealand you look at okay we know Cyril Bay was going to be out big loss in the front row um, Roman Entomac obviously gone. Paul Vilemse out as well in the second row. A massive player, figuratively and literally. And Jonathan Dante, the latest to go. Now I know Cyril Bay and Dante are probably going to be back soon enough as well. But um, am I right or am I right to be doubting them, or is it just the fact that the tournament is creeping a little bit closer that I'm I'm thinking too much about it?
1: Well, I have the same feelings, and I thought the exact same with the Six Nations. And I thought that they kind of held their cards closer to their chest in the Six Nations. I thought they were happy enough to be where they were at. I don't think, for whatever reason at the time, I thought their feelings weren't that they needed to go and win it. And obviously they have home advantage. There's going to be pressure with that, but obviously it gets you over the line as well in, in tight games. So I had the exact same feelings as you. And then when you look at the the size of the players, both literally and metaphorically, um, that are missing for them at the start anyway, then I I I think like they're... The momentum is falling away from them a small bit, but geez, doubt them at your peril. Like, you know, it's uh they're still they're ridiculous. Like we we've been talking about their squad for so long, you can't start doubting them because they're down four players is it, so yeah. and someone ever want to be back. Uh but I think John Dandante is a huge, huge loss. I think the gap between him and Moffana, isn't it? uh I think the, the gap is is big. I just think he's so destructive. And it's the stuff that you don't uh, hate, like the stuff that you don't see. Of course, you see it, but like it's in the breakdown first phase he'd make his tackle or he'll get over the gain line for them and it's actually the breakdown where he just gets in there for La Rochelle and uh, he's, he's so so disruptive I think the, the Intimac one as much as we've got this kind of romanticised version of what he was going to do at the World Cup you know Jalbert a good player he's like Jalibar, very... yeah.
0: Jalbert is excellent and I think even at the time I remember doing the podcast and Bernard Jackman was on with us as well and even straight after Intimac got that injury he was saying like obviously it's it's an enormous blow for the player and he's such a quality player but you know, Jalabert is good enough to play for arguably nearly any other country in the tournament, and it's he just the fair fact fair that he's fair. behind Entomac. Like he, it, it's not an enormous loss compared to
1: to other areas of the pitch. Not if he stays fit. But like that's your you're relying on him for a lot of rugby as well. Like France have a tough a tough way through to winning anything as well. They've a they've a very hard sided draw, much like we do. So like you know, they're uh, you prefer and you'd be a lot more confident if you go into your. Your campaign and you've both of them available. Obviously, you've got two world-class teams in, and like that's very, very hard to stop. Because I think you've seen with Ireland in the past 2015, I think in particular, you know, you lose players and they're they're big players for Ireland and all of it. Like even if you look at the squad at the moment, like we we back our squad a lot, but like if you lose any combination of Porter, Furlong, Sexton you know, yourself, you're, you're starting to doubt it a small bit more. So that's what's happening in France at the moment. And, um, you know, Paul Williams says obviously huge inside in the pack as well. And all of a sudden they don't look like the the rumbling pack that we're, we're used to seeing. But I still think, like, you know, if you look at their pack versus New Zealand on tomorrow night, they still have the pack, you know, they're still going to be the bigger size and the ones that are probably going to put the squeeze on the game. You'll see a very French kind of rumble when they get into the 22 um, so it's, uh, geez, what a, what a game to start the the tournament with, especially when it has such a bearing on Ireland's potential path to any success. It's um it's a really nice one to start with. But the the one that I'd be looking at, I know they won't directly go at each other, but Aldred and and uh, Ardie Sevea, the two some of the like two of the form eights, really. If you look at Kellen Doris as well, they're they're massive players going at it in a in a World Cup opener on, on a Friday night.
0: How do you how do you see New Zealand reacting to what happened against South Africa? They've They've made four changes. Two of those are in force. Barrett being out and Tara Lomax being out injured. Uh, Anton Leonard Brown comes in. Nepo Lalala comes in. And then the tactical changes, Cody Taylor and Dalton Papali brought into the pack as well. So there's obviously been a reaction from Ian Foster. But if you're talking four changes and two of them being injuries, it certainly doesn't seem like there's an overreaction to what happened at Twickenham a couple of weeks back.
1: No, but I think th- there was an overreaction to what they were doing to Australia as well. You know, so okay. like where do we, we don't really know where New Zealand are? At. Yeah, like they they look they're they're tournament animals in one sense anyway. I know they've had a couple of tough ones, but they've had a couple of wins as well. You know, they like they they know what's going on in the World Cup, and I think that's going to stand to them. Uh Joe Schmidt is very clever tactically. Um, you know, they've they they've a lot of know-how. I think what the All Blacks are always very good at, and you could see that tomorrow night. You saw with the Lions tour, uh, was it the first test or the second test? The first test, I think they just changed the script completely. Played everything off the rook, and you were expecting a couple of more passes, and they really tightened up their game plan. But it wasn't seen as a negative. It was a, a real tactical awareness of what the Lions were going to try and bring in terms of line speed, and they played inside it. So, like, I think they're they're very good at maybe changing the picture and just ambushing a team, um, sort of getting it to them. But I think that's where their weakness is going to be. Like, will they deal with the packs at the top level? Um and will their tactical awareness get them through some of the bigger games repeatedly? Maybe once they will, but will they will they be able to do it against three of the top sides to get all the way? Like you know.
0: When you're when we're looking at after this game at at what happens back, I it the layout of the the pool stage, it's similar to when New Zealand and South Africa were together in the same pool back in 2019 where they met first up. New Zealand won that game, but South Africa ultimately they had the luxury of the teams in their pool to be able to just pick up the pieces and confidently make their way to a quarter final. Whoever wins this weekend, do you see the other side being able to, to confidently pick up the pieces ahead of the knockout stage? Like for example, if if France lose the home opener for themselves at the tournament, is it a bit different to South Africa losing in 2019 where they were still coming in under the radar? Is it a bit too simplistic to just compare
1: 2019 to this? Um, I don't think it is because I I was um I was even saying about Ireland like you know losing a game, you'd hope it's just well I don't know if you'd hope this but if you lose a South Africa game you beat Scotland you go to a, a quarter final you're going to play one of those two teams anyway unfortunately it might be France at that stage you could be saying unfortunately it's it's New Zealand they could be hitting serious form and just all of a sudden just you know get into the form that we think they might have been hitting before that South Africa. A uh, massive loss, but like they were on a trajectory there that everyone was saying they were the foreign team, but they were down in Australia playing against an Australian team that we don't really know what's going on. But I think you know, long long answer short, Ireland it's just unfortunate for Ireland that in one sense they get to cruise through Romania, have a good game against Tonga, hopefully, and then go at it against South Africa. But if they do lose that one, you're facing into. You know, a plucky Scottish side. Actually, not more than plucky. A very good Scottish side, very dangerous in attack. You're just hoping that the wind is out of their sails by that stage, and maybe that's the advantage of playing Scotland last. If they get a beating this weekend, which they could, then maybe they don't have enough to pick up the pieces. Um, but like, if you're losing the first game, you're going to be able to lose a game like South Africa have shown, um, and pick it back up. But I think there was so much uh, kind of togetherness and the the story to be told, and Razzie was keeping them all together. You know, were they ever going to be? killed by one loss I'm not sure in France if France lose it I think the confidence that the public will get on them New Zealand their confidence will go Ireland will start questioning their game plan you know I think they're a bit more um, I think they're a bit more robust on that now than what they were under Joe Schmidt's uh, guys because it was very much laid out to them and it, when it didn't work it didn't work but I do think you can go through the tournament losing a game and, and still get there I think there's enough time and you're going to be in a, such a tough quarterfinal anyway then you're going to have to pick up the pieces if you're going to go that, that long you know mm-hmm.
0: I Few more little bits to get through. Quick verdicts, though. France, New Zealand. Uh,
1: I can't look past France. I, okay. I don't. Yeah, I don't think you get past it. I don't like and I'm sorry. I prefer Jordy Barrett at twelve, even though I don't think he's the full answer at twelve. Mm-hmm. I think the game line that he brought against Argentina, I thought was just too hard to stop. I'm not sure Antonina Brown is doing it as much. The um Scotland
0: South Africa Scotland South Africa uh, is the the late evening game on Sunday. I think 4:45 Irish time. Um. It kind of goes back to something we touched on earlier on where you were saying you you don't expect Ireland to be trying to run up a score necessarily against Romania. Um, coming to us on, on Twitter, Romac F says, Scotland beat the box this weekend and the potential for a three-win team to not make the quarterfinals grows exp- exponentially. What are the odds? Now, I'm not necessarily saying Scotland will beat South Africa, but there's a possibility in this pool that, you know, one of we've three top teams in it and one of them beats each other and you have all three of those teams finishing up on three wins and all of a sudden points difference becomes really, really important. Um, mm-hmm. Before we obviously just mentioned Scotland, South Africa, I mean, racking up a, a points total against Romania would, would be pretty important just as a, as a safety yeah. blanket. I know no, you're I not, think- I, I, I know you're trying to get away from the mindset of,
1: accepting the fact that you might lose a game down the line. But I think that's realistic. I think you have to go into the game going, We we might lose a game here. And like, you know, I think you have to I think the overly positive person will think, oh, should we just win the games anyway? And then you don't win the games and it's like, you know, what's after happening? So I think you do have to think that way. But I think like the old cliche of the the process and all that. I think if Ireland they're looking for that cohesion, they're just going to run up that score anyway. If they struggle, I don't think they're going to force it to get the score through because it's not happening. Like you know, I think it's going to happen as a byproduct of how they turn up. They're so strong, you know. Well, like I, I think you've mentioned it there. If Scotland loses South Africa game in the opener, they do have time to get there to so dust yeah. themselves on and annoy Ireland a lot. You know, they do. They're they're so so close to getting that win, so uh, they're dangerous. But I just don't see them beating South Africa. They obviously had a very good game against the French um in the second half, but that French team, it's not what we're going to see. Like, I don't think anyway. So So. I
0: so I'm getting the feeling obviously you think South Africa are gonna have too much for Scotland this weekend. But as you as you pointed out, the fact that Scotland ultimately if, if they if they win one of their two games against South Africa and Ireland, they'll more than likely be qualifying. So they do have the option of just going all out this weekend and throwing everything they have. I think we're probably going to see, we're probably going to see them go for it, similar to how they did away against away against France in San Etienne. And for that reason alone, regardless of who actually wins this game at the weekend, I just can't wait to see what's or what Scotland are going to throw at South Africa. Even if I do think South Africa will still have
1: enough to to deal with it, they'll throw absolutely everything at them. Because I think if you were in Scotland, I can't imagine them thinking you know, we're plucky
0: losers. It's as here. close to it, it, to, it it's as close to a
1: free shot as I feel like they could have. It's a free shot, but I guarantee you inside their camp, they, what disrespect saying we've got a free shot. They're expecting to win that game. Like and I, I you know in Scotland they they back themselves to win that and cause such an upset. Uh they wouldn't see it as an upset. You know, but like with Finn Russell, their centres on form, they they really cause a lot of trouble. But I just think South Africa again too long in the tooth. they're they're so good at tournament rugby. I just think they're going to squeeze them, they're going to outmuscle them uh, they probably put the ball into the mall. They, I just think they'll be too clever. They won't try and play. They'll squeeze that game down and stop Scotland from being Scotland. You know, but I think like we're lucky that we get to see that first because unfortunately injury or red cards is going to be part of this game or the World Cup. And you know, from Ireland's perspective, if Scotland get a bit of a hammering and take some physical blows, uh, sorry, not a hammering. I don't think they'll take a hammering, but if they take like a, a beating and then a physical beating with it. You know, one or two of those players, not that you'd wish for it, but if they don't recover, all of a sudden Scotland are looking like a different team by the end of the pool, you know. So, uh, luckily, they've got, for us, they've got the hardest game first, and you might just be able to figure them out a small bit more, but it's going to be a cracker. I mean, like the two games they want to start it a Friday night and the South Africa Scotland game is huge. Like, I think you would back Scotland to cause such an upset if Finn Russell's on form. And I think South Africa do have one or two weaknesses. I don't think Manny Laboc is is what they'd want in terms of their kind of tournament expertise but the rest of it will carry and I think their coaches are too clever and uh, you call them clever but they're, it's their mindset and their kind of psychological edge I think they've got that one.
0: Yeah it's going to be brilliant I've, I've almost taken up too much of your time a few more very very quick fire questions And when I say quick fire one word not answers, yeah, one answers are more than enough um, and <laughs> the other couple of games this weekend that stand out England Argentina who's
1: winning that England, but my heart, my head says, uh, my head says England, heart says Argentina. I'd love Argentina to do that, obviously. We're
0: gonna touch, we're gonna say heart says England for a second there. Wales, Fiji, Wales, couple of tournament
1: predictions then. Um, winner, I can't say Ireland, like it makes me too nervous. Uh, South Africa, South Africa,
0: where will Ireland
1: finish? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> you don't but want to it's it's see if, if the, is the answer Um player of the tournament or player you're just looking forward to seeing the most because the really? player of the tournament is too easy you could just say Dupont but yeah, who, I are, think who are you just looking forward
1: to seeing once France do the business Dupont will get it but Will Jordan I think is just so good uh, I hope he gets a good run in it chat.
0: what team will disappoint
1: As much as I said, England will beat Argentina, England will still disappoint, but they could get the squeeze on teams. It just won't be positive enough to get a bit of momentum with them, Uh, England. And then last one, Dark Horse. And when I say Dark Horse,
0: either to win it or just to cause a bit of a stir in the pool stage, pick off maybe a a famous win without necessarily qualifying, but someone to to just cause a bit of havoc at this tournament, some team to, to cause a bit of mayhem. I'm contradicting myself, but
1: Argentina had to cause a ruckus in that group, and then Scotland as well. Two of them Argentina are. Those, i think and for, Scotland. I think just because of the way the groups are laid out, nothing is going to be that surprising. Okay, I, I'm
0: getting very concerned that you've predicted say, South Africa to win and Scotland to oh. cause a bit of an upset. I'm getting I'm getting worried
1: here, Johnny. Well, that's hedging my bets to see because I'd <laughs> be happy enough if I'm right, Well, I won't be. But I'll be, I'll be, I'd be I'd I'd love to be wrong. But like I just think, uh, you know, the the, the upsets aren't going to. Like they're all so straightforward there's clear top two favorites in each group although you have Scotland who are the group of date, obviously and then Argentina are such a good team when they get going um they're the only ones that could be considered somewhat of a dark horse with Scotland i don't think the other ones are going to do much damage like, like people might say fiji but i don't know i think not at a, not at a tournament
0: well we'll find out more over the weekend and i'm sure we'll be chatting to anyway you'll have your your column out on on tuesday as usual and i'm sure we'll be chatting to you on the podcast as well over the next few weeks. Johnny Holland, thanks a million. That's it from the RT Rugby World Cup podcast. Safe travels to all those heading over to Bordeaux uh, either this evening or tomorrow early on Saturday morning. We will be back for another podcast next Tuesday. We'll speak to you then.